0: Group action is always necessary to do big things. Maybe it may start, something great may start with an individual, but it always ends up that there's a lot of people that need to be involved. How do we do that, and how do we keep those group actions from drowning in bureaucracy? Stay with us. Welcome to All Things Apostolic for Tuesday, December the 12th, 2023, right in the middle of the wonderful holiday season, celebrating the birth of Jesus and all that that means, and that he was not just a man, but that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. God incarnate, holy man and holy God. So this is the celebration of that season. Somebody says, well, he wasn't really born on December 25th. That's actually the, the celebration of a, of a earthly pagan idol that they called God. So, uh, yeah, that may be true. Yeah, I think you got something there. But we have taken it away. We have captured it. All things become new in Jesus. Every day of the year is holy. They all belong to us as the children of God. And we can celebrate on any day that we would like to celebrate on. And it just feels kind of good to celebrate the birth of Jesus instead of some false doctrine on December the 25th. We don't know what day he was actually born, uh, but we celebrate his birth every day, 365 days a year. So, Merry Christmas. So, I want to talk to you today about uh, some things that are relevant to all of us, especially if you're in leadership of any kind. The attempt to um, promote group efforts. We all know that uh, together we can do a lot of things that we cannot do by ourselves, and so the effort to promote to promote group efforts, the uh, the attempt to make that work, oftentimes meets with failure or very limited success, because when the group gets together, um, if there's varied opinions, there's varied ideas. Uh, there's varied ambitions and, uh, just a lot of things enter the equation. I've given a lot of thought to this through the years because I've been involved in group efforts since I was just young and the frustrations of working in group efforts causes many people, uh, it causes some people to just dump the whole enterprise and go out and live in a form of isolation, which is no answer, by the way. The, uh, probably the broader effect is, is that people tamp down the level of their commitment to group efforts because of the frustrations, many frustrations that go along with group efforts. So um, one of the responses to that is, is that people have been in mildly successful group efforts earlier in their life, and so they just try to keep replicating that. They don't know any other model of group leadership, and so they try to replicate the old model in a new setting, and it is true. That for a number of years, that will work. But, but models change because the needs and the dynamics of the populace changes, and therefore models have to have flexibility, and some of them have to just be discarded and new models put together. The, uh, the problem of trying to make our present-day efforts work with old models that we have, or you might say old bottles (laughs) like the parable of Jesus, but uh, to make it work in old models is that the changing of the world has created situations that are altogether different than they were before. And this not only affects uh, the church's group efforts, it, it, it affects everybody's group efforts. You don't have to be a genius to look back to the 20th century, which is only 23 years ago. But you can look back to the 20th century. And at the end of the 20th century, if you lived in that era, you will will know that there were changes that were coming, but we couldn't predict all of the impact that those changes would make. For example, until about 1980, there was not personal computers. They didn't even exist. And almost every guru in the computer and in the tech business and in the business world in whole said almost unequivocally that there'll never be a need of personal computers. Uh, There is no application for such a thing. Uh, This will not be a a significant factor in business or in the world. So uh, bingo. You can see how little people knew because they were judging all of that by the present circumstances and the present business ecosystems that existed and the present um, organizational models that existed thinking in those terms, they could see no use, not knowing that there was a radical change that was coming. And so you can see this, some of the very biggest companies in the world uh, missed big parts of this. Some of them missed all of it and don't even exist anymore. And so you can't buy anything at Montgomery Wards. Montgomery Wards is out of business. It was one of the biggest retailers in the world for decades, in the early 1900s, -1900s. mid-1900s. Uh, Sears is is virtually gone. It's got a few little stores. It's trying to still come along, but it's nothing like what it was. Kmart and on and on goes the list of these that were giants at one time. J.C. Penney struggles even now. It's still there, but it's struggling to make the shift and uh, is not, by any stretch of the imagination, one of the major primary players in the world of retail these things happen. Malls, while malls still exist, and there are malls that still have success, uh, many malls uh, uh, have gone out of business. And I'm thinking of one of the most beautiful, no exaggeration, one of the most beautiful malls, the buildings, the architecture, everything that I have seen anywhere in America. It sets empty today. I don't even know if there's one business in it. Perhaps there's a few little old businesses uh, where there's a Space in the mall has an outside door so they can people can come in without going in the mall. there's nothing in the mall to my knowledge. the mall started and then quickly it lost its 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 grip its traction. Why? Because it was created at the end of the mall era, and by the time they got it created, the mall era had already declined further until uh, malls are not today what they were, and many malls have just completely shut down. What does all that? How does all the what makes those kinds of changes? Well, there's many factors, more than I know, I'm sure. Uh, but there's some factors that become evident, and uh, car manufacturers didn't see it. I mean, there's no more Oldsmobiles, there's no more. Pontiacs, there's no more Mercurys, and numerous others that went by the wayside that were like iconic. They were like landmarks. I mean, they were like, this car will never go away. And now they no longer exist. That's just been a few years ago. You can still find some of those cars on the road, but you can't buy one unless it's a used one, because they didn't make, they didn't take the trip. (laughs) They didn't make the grade. Their quality was good enough, but the marketing, the, the, the thinking on it, uh, something they didn't get. And there's radical changes uh, that have come. So um, with that said, this is also true in the world of religion. When you look at the world of denominationalism, denominationalism has been declining since like I would say the 1960s it's been declining it it became huge in uh, the late 1800s and early 1900s it became a dominant force in the religious world but now denominations have been on the decline and they are still on the decline and the new generations that have arisen do not they're not attracted to these kinds of things. So in the meantime the need for group efforts continues. So how do we make group efforts work? This is a this is a question. How do we how do we get group togetherness to do great things for the world, for the gospel, for humans in general? How do we do that? This is this is the question. Well, first of all, we've got to recognize that old organizations in many cases have developed. It's impossible that they don't develop in most cases. They have developed a um, core, it's like residue of the work of the business, core things that they have come to think of as being essential parts of the organization, and uh, really they are just bureaucratic weight. And so bureaucracy comes into an organization, and bureaucracy becomes problematic. And uh, there are people who are protecting positions. There's people who are protecting programs that they started or were instrumental in starting that are now shopworn and heading towards being obsolete um, and are outdated. And yet these people cling to these things. Now, there's a whole study, uh, an in-depth and profoundly revealing study on the subject of paradigms and how they started. Uh, the, the, the guy that really did the work on it was Thomas Kuhn, and he wrote a book back, I think it was in 1960, about uh, um, the history of scientific discoveries. It's a very boring book. It's a very difficult book to read, but it is a very revealing book in that um, he he studied all the scientific revolutions that had taken place, and um, in history, all the major ones, and he found out that there were numerous commonalities in all of these scientific revolutions. They were all um, they were all discovered and came to be embraced in the midst of enormous resistance, enormous struggle, because those who had already uh, presented. A conflicting view of the reality of things, as science would show it, uh, they were clinging to those. They were invested in those. So people become invested in old group efforts infrastructures that uh, actually become obstacles to the completion of the work. And uh, they begin to judge the value of their work by is the machinery shining? Is there money in the bank? Um, all of those become the primary criteria. Now there, all of that can be criteria, but uh, the primary criteria, when that's not the, the real primary criteria is the mission is the mission of this group togetherness, functioning to accomplish its purposes. Or has the structure that's been put together originally to promote the mission overtaken the mission? And what happens in these situations is that uh, the survival of the machinery becomes the primary element in the minds of the uh, people who still embrace that old machinery, who who are in love with it. That's all they know. It's the familiar. To be separated from that is to be terrified and uh, and to resist sometimes to the death. So one of the things that Thomas Kuhn found out, and we're not going to go into all that today, but one of the things that he found out is that, for example, an old paradigm never leaves the throne willingly. And it never leaves the throne, if it's the dominant paradigm, how things are done, uh, it never leaves the throne without being thrown off. In most cases, violently. It has to be cast off. Another thing is it will not leave the throne because of rational argument. Like, can't you see that this isn't working? Can't you see that this is opportunity? Can't you see? And the answer is no. They don't see because they don't want to see. They are focused on antiquated and unfortunately, obsolete ideas that are never going to produce, they may produce a trickle, but they'll never accomplish the big picture because we need a river of uh, effective actions coming through that machinery and being organized in such a way as they can accomplish their purposes. So, um When we talk about this, we're talking about group efforts that avoid bureaucracy. How can we do that? Now, I'm not sure that there's any group that completely avoids bureaucracy, but we need to talk about that. We need to talk about that, especially if you're in the apostolic movement, we need to talk about that because we need answers and we need them quick because even the youngest of our leaders begin to recognize, have already recognized, that something could be done better. We, they don't know to what to do either, but something needs to be done better. And so we're going to discuss this, we'll talk about it again tomorrow.